Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. It is the first show of 2017 and we are going to Norfolk County and we're going to talk to a cash crop and vegetable farmer, Mike Pastor. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Wendell. Thanks for having me. Okay, Mike, so you run a cash crop and a vegetable farm. Where exactly in Norfolk County? Uh, we are on the southwest corner, right on the shore, north shore of Lake Erie, on the Norfolk, Elgin County uh, boundary. About an hour southeast of London. Is, is that in the snow belt? Not usually. If the wind comes right off Lake Erie, the winds come from the south, we'll get some snow. And uh, once in a while, the We'll get it off Lake Huron, but usually it doesn't reach this far down. Mike, tell us about your operation. Tell us why do people refer to you guys as the Pastor Cartel? Well, actually, that uh, that kind of started as a joke uh, between me and my brother. I think anybody on Twitter would know my infamous brother Andy. But growing vegetables, we hire a lot of offshore workers, and we get some guys in from Mexico. So we just started uh, referring to ourselves as the Pastor Cartel. A Mexican connection. But, but I'm not going to lose any fingers or ears or anything, am I? No, I think you're pretty safe. Uh, in Mexico, the cartels have El Chapo, and up here, the pastor cartel, we refer to Andy as El Chipo. So uh, <laughs> I don't think I have anything to worry about. All right, so what crops do you guys grow? Well, on the cash crop side, we grow corn and soybeans, and then uh, a little bit of rye. Um, that's mostly used as a cover crop and, and a rotational crop for our vegetables. And the vegetable side, last year we grew uh, cucumbers for pickling, uh, jalapeno peppers, and some butternut squash. And we also have a little bit of gym. How does that work out in terms of labor for, for the summer? Do those things complement each other? Yeah, that's kind of why we chose it. Um, they all kind of run into each other, so we use the same labor force. So the cucumbers will start harvest mid-July, um, and it usually ends at the end of August. That's when the peppers start up, and uh, depending how the crop is, that'll last about three weeks. And then to finish off, we'll get into the squash. Squash is usually done beginning of October, and then we can get into the soybeans and corn to, to finish off the year. Right, so you do all of your row crop planting early, then get into all of the, the produce, and then back into harvest for, for corn and beans again. Yeah, yeah, so we'll start, in our area we can generally start the end of April, beginning of May with the, the corn, soybeans, and then uh, in June we start planting the vegetables. Get a little bit of time off before harvest starts mid-July and then uh, back at it for about four months of harvest. How many acres of vegetables do you grow? Uh, last year, it varies year to year depending on uh, processor needs and, and contracts and whatnot, and also with uh, our labor force because that's always changing as well. But last year we had about, what we had 30 acres of cucumbers, 40 acres of peppers, and 40 acres of squash. And so on 30 acres of so, cucumbers, how many pickles does that make? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but uh, it's around 500 tons of pickles, I believe. Wow, that is that is a lot well, of sandwiches. Lot. Yeah. Well, most of them go for um, uh, dill pickles, and then uh, the bigger ones they'll use for relish, some for slicers, for sandwiches and whatnot, but um, the primary purpose of these specific pickles we grow is for uh, dill pickles. And would you consider yourself like a conventional pickle farmer? 
or do you any kind of specialty things? I guess we'd be considered conventional. Um, they're all hand-picked. They go to grading stations and then they get sent off to, uh, to be processed in the pickles, relish, and whatever else they use pickles for, I guess. Where is the processor? Who is the main processor for your cucumbers? Well, when we started growing uh, cucumbers, we had a contract with Bix. Um, a few years back, they moved out of Ontario, as did most of the other processors. Uh, so now we grow for a green shipper on the U.S. So they uh, they end up in Ohio, Wisconsin, and then they get they get bottled and sent back to Canada for sale. That's changed a, a fair bit then. Yeah, because I remember when we first started growing cucumbers, I was in university at the time, and there were 21 grading stations, I believe, in Norfolk and Elgin County. Uh, today there's only three left. And uh, that's where the bulk of it goes. There's only one, one person to grow for here in our immediate area. In the deep southwest, they have a couple others. Um, there's a couple um, smaller, like local processors there. Um, but in our area, there's just, just one green shipper. Why is that, Mike? Why would you say people have moved processing to the States? Well, that's a good question. I think. A lot of it has to do with the economic environment in Ontario over the past 10 years. It's harder to compete, it's harder to do all the value-added stuff here. So it's, it's cheaper for them to go to the states and uh, do it there. And, and that situation doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. We now have a, a new carbon tax and with the Trump presidency, it doesn't look like they're going to do some of the, the same things in terms of the environment. Is that going to be a, a big challenge going ahead? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges going ahead. You look at our dollar and the exchange rate, and you think Ontario should be where people are lining up to do business. But all these added extra costs, like you said, a carbon tax, uh, cap and trade, you look at just hydro costs. All that is kind of wiped out the advantage we had with a, with the low dollar. So now, if we have, and I guess it's all just uh, speculation now, what Trump will do. But let's say he goes full on protectionist, and and what's that going to mean for the Ontario producer, or the Canadian producer? So, so it is it is a little, I'd say, volatile right now, and and uh, we're not really quite sure what the future is going to hold. So, if you had to sell your product into the Canadian market. There isn't a processor that could handle all of the the vegetables that we grow. No, not, like our area, we're, we're pretty diverse. We're on the sand plain and we got lots of water, so we can grow pretty much anything here. The problem is that you need, you need a processor, somebody to send that product to. In the past, I know we, we've grown peppers and had to, had to ship them to Pennsylvania and New Jersey and that's just not feasible, it's not efficient. So yeah, you need that, that infrastructure, especially with crops like, high value crops like vegetables. So yeah, definitely need to have that, that immediate infrastructure where you can send your product to. Different than corn and soybeans, which can sit in the bin, when, these, when this commodity is ready to go to market, it's ready to go to market now. Yeah, and, and you can't leave it in the field, especially something like cucumbers, they grow so fast and they're on a, on a grade system by size. So over, from overnight you can have a grade one, which is your, your highest priced cucumber, to a grade two or three, which is considerably lower priced. So, 
So you're really at the at the mercy of the weather, number one, number two, your labor force, and number three, where you can ship that product to. And so, as a farmer, how do you ensure that you have any kind of bargaining power? Well, all the vegetables we grow um, are processing vegetables. So right now we have the Ontario Processing Vegetable Growers Association, which is our marketing board, which negotiates on behalf of uh, all the growers with the processors for a price that we deem is fair and competitive. Um, but unfortunately, that's something now that that this past summer, the Farm Products Marketing Commission has said they want to abolish. So we're going through kind of the volatility now of, well, what's that going to mean for our industry if, if we no longer have that ability to negotiate a fair price? And then it gives all the power to the processor. Um, so. So just another challenge, I guess, that we have to face. So, so will you then have to deal directly with the processor and forward contract some of your products? That is kind of the idea of what they want to put forward from the processor side, which truthfully is the processors want cheaper products. You know, we're all in the same boat. We're all, we're all facing increased costs through hydro, through regulations, through there's carbon taxes, cap and trade, you name it, we're all in the same boat. So so I guess from the processor's point of view, instead of passing that along to the consumer, they just want to take it off from the from the supplier, which in our case is the farmer. But we're facing those same costs, so so it's hard to rationalize how we can take a pay cut for our product while facing increased production costs. And the pay cut that you're talking about would be for, like all the way down the, the value chain. So when someone like Metro slashes 1.5% off of invoice prices, that flows right back to the farmer. Well, the old saying is that flows downhill, right? And unfortunately, the farmer is at the bottom of the supply chain. So it, it seems to always come down on us. And through time and time again, being innovative and, and, and trying new things, I think the farmer has always been good at cutting costs and delivering a product while still making a reasonable living. But with all these new regulations and, and added costs kind of snowballing on top of each other, um, it's getting harder and harder to find ways to cut costs to be able to to be able to make it work and be viable and sustainable. So we talked to economists, and, and one of the names that we know in the industry is Sylvain Charlebois. You've heard that name. Yeah. So I've, Syl I've had encounters with Sylvain on Twitter before, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Sylvain actually honestly believes that he's a friend of the farmer. And he talks about the communication and the partnerships up and down the value chain. Do you ever see that working both ways, or is it all one way? Uh, I don't want to say it's all one way. I think... I think in the end, I think I think processors, retailers, do realize they need need a need a supplier, and that is us, the farmer. What I don't think they always realize is that what looks good on on paper doesn't always work out that way in real life. And I think they take a lot of the in their equations, a lot of the intangibles they don't factor in. Um, it kind of reminds me sometimes of. Of, you know when you're working on a tractor or something breaks down on a piece of equipment and you ask yourself who whoever designed this 
definitely never had to fix it. So you know, I, I don't I don't think they up, they factor everything in in when they make those decisions or they come up with those theories. Talking about supermarkets specifically, there's really only three main supermarkets. Yeah. And those guys have an awful lot of power in terms of what they pay for products. What are some of the other tricks that they use to get prices down? Well, we, we don't deal directly with supermarket chains because we're processing. So we'll, we'll either ship our product to a processor or a packer, a green shipper. In turn, they will sell it through the, um, to the supermarket. So we see those come back to us indirectly, whether it be through, uh, they call it a, a shrinkage dockage or uh, just other, other dockages that it almost seems like they come up with thin air just to reduce the price and that's kind of because their price is being reduced so like i said before um, rolls downhill so it's going to come back to us in the end can you think of any way that that could be better for the farmer like especially if we lose the marketing boards is there anything can be done so that we're not just at the mercy of the processors well, I think if we lose the marketing boards, a lot of sectors of Canadian ag, or Ontario ag specifically, are going to be in some trouble. Um, what we're going to see is we're going to see we're going to see huge farms that are able to do it cheaper, um, and the, the small to mid-sized farm is going to be totally wiped out, especially with crops crops like vegetables or any any high-value crop like that. Um, there's a lot of farms that have been innovative and, and proactive in selling direct to consumers. Um, if you're fortunate enough to have a farm just outside a, a large urban area, you can set up your own farm markets, um, things like that, or direct to grocery chains. A lot of specialty stuff now coming in and niche marketing. Um, but as a whole for an industry, I don't, I don't see that as being feasible, especially if you're more remote and uh, you just can't do all those things. In order for one group to take advantage of specialty niche market stuff, there has to be a conventional market as well, or else there, or else everything is just niche market. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the power is in the consumer's hands. You know, I, I know they've done unscientific studies and polls where, where you ask a consumer what they want in a product, but when it comes down to it, for a lot of people, it's still price that will always be their biggest their biggest buying factor is the price. I think the way we're headed now is that if the consumer wants safe Canadian product, um, they're going to have to pay for it. Right. Even though it goes to the U.S. to be packaged. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate that's the way it has to be, but um, that's the way it is. Um, it is what it is. It, there's not much we can do about it. Um, I know I know in the past there's been a lot of people try their own startups, um, but it's tough. Um, a lot of money involved, a lot of risk, and not always a lot of support from our elected officials or um, even our, our local local populations. No, the government doesn't pay as much attention to farmers as they as they used to. That's for sure. No, it's something I've always thought too. Uh, we always talk about the disconnect. The general population has with farming there's only 
two percent of the population farms today. And I think we have to we have to go a little further than just the general population, but our elected officials, the disconnect they have from the farm, our MPs and MPPs, even our local municipal councillors, even if you're in a rural riding, how many of those councillors have direct a direct connection to the farm anymore? And same with uh, our grocery chains, our retailers, our processors. Um, how many of the people making the decisions there really know how the product they're they're processing or they're selling? is grown or raised and i think that number is getting pretty small too yep it absolutely is so i'm going to shift gears a little bit on you mike do you grow gmo or non-gmo cucumbers well there is no such thing as a gmo cucumber so uh they are all non-gmo see i set you up there a little bit i pulled a i pulled a, a hunt kind of tactic yeah we get uh we don't get asked about the cucumbers too much but um I do see people, I will see stuff, you know, going through my Facebook feed or my Twitter and, and I'm like, what are these people talking about? Like there's no, there's no GMO peppers or cucumbers. So, uh, no, they are all conventional cucumbers. So when we watch something like what just happened with, with hunts, where they came out with a verified non-GMO tomato sauce, and then there's a backlash from farmers and we look at it and we go, well, we showed them. Do you think consumers are part of that backlash or do you think consumers are just kind of buying what they're selling? I think I think a lot of that goes back to what I was just saying a little, little while ago about the disconnect, the disconnect between a marketing department, I'd say a hunts, or, or we've seen this at countless, countless food companies who have, who are championing their non-GMO products when there's no, GMO alternative on the market. But that person who, who in the marketing department thought that was a good idea is doing that because that's what the consumer or they're perceiving the consumer wants. And that's what they're perceiving will increase their sales. So I think it goes back to, uh, to the consumer has all the power. If that's what the consumer thinks or wants, then that's what these food companies are going to do and or restaurants. Um, and that's, that's why I know there's a lot of people in the farm industry who aren't, aren't big on the whole advocating thing, but but that's where I think it comes in pretty crucial is is we need to start informing people and letting them know what's really going on and what we're really doing here. Mike, if you were talking to a consumer group, what was what would be the one thing that you really want those non-farm people to understand? Well, I think um, the one thing is with all the advocating that's going on now, we talk a lot about the benefits of biotech pesticides um, we talk about animal welfare on the farms but I think the one thing we don't talk enough about is just how much it costs to be a producer in Canada today um, how much it costs to raise safe affordable affordable food for the consumer I don't think people have a general idea of just how much cost is involved and how much risk there is no and they take they take so much for granted being able to go, go to the grocery store and spend so little of their income on such a variety of great products. Well, even me when I get groceries every week and I don't have a lot in my cart and it doesn't take much to, to add up to a hundred bucks and I can imagine what it would cost for a family of four and I, I don't think people realize that very little of that cost comes back to the people who are actually producing that food. No, it's disproportionate for sure. 
And, and are you involved in any uh, industry associations or groups, Mike? I'm a district committee man for the Grain Farmers of Ontario and uh, somewhat involved with our, our district for the uh, Ontario Processing Vegetable Growers. And do you get the opportunity to talk to consumers? Well, actually, I lived and worked in the city in Kitchener uh, for about eight years. So I spent a lot of time off the farm. And that's, you know, before I did that, and maybe it wasn't so widespread then that was that was quite a few years ago but um, I really noticed talking to people who were consumers and when they would talk about food and they would talk about farming a lot of the myths and, and misinformation they had and I think that's when I started to get more involved and more vocal about, about standing up for what we did and, and trying to educate and inform people what we do and so we're told by industry groups that we should never try and contradict or never try and educate consumers that they don't care about the science and they don't care about the facts. And yet, if we don't get the facts out there and get them to believe the facts, aren't we just going to keep going down the same road? Well, I, I definitely think we are. I mean, it, I think facts is what we base our whole our whole society on. Everything everything we do is based on facts. So, so why would it be any different with with food and farming. Yeah, I, I don't understand that rationale. And I know from my own personal experience, from talking to people who were, I even had somebody who um, was somewhat associated with March against Monsanto. And, and when I talked to them and actually showed them what we did and, and showed them how we did it and why, you know, they came around and they understood. Um, you know, oftentimes I think, I think being in the ag industry and being farmers, we live in an echo chamber, and we preach to the choir quite a bit because it's, it's, it's how most of us grew up. It's what we know. It's all we've ever done. But if we put ourselves inside of that, that working mom who lives in the suburbs, you know, and, and read something on Facebook or Twitter, and, you know, some of that stuff I would believe too if I wasn't a farmer, if I didn't grow up doing this, if I didn't know why we did this. I think we need to be very vocal about correcting and informing and educating people on why we do this stuff. And most importantly, how how we do it. And so what are the what what's the biggest misconception people have about the vegetables that you grow? I think one of the big misconceptions I, I hear out there is that it's either GMO or it's organic. And it's not that black and white. Our vegetables are not organic. They're not GMO. Um, we we grow them conventionally. We use a lot of the same practice growing vegetables as, as an organic farmer would. Crop rotations, cover crops. We bring bees in to pollinate them. So, so we care about bees. We care about the environment. But if you're spraying yeah. all of that nasty herbicide on your vegetables and then I'm eating it, how could organic vegetables not be better for me? Well, it's interesting because the one thing with vegetables is, is uh, we can't really spray herbicides on them they are non-GMO. With, with the vegetables, most of them we can do a, a pre-merge for the stuff we seed, the stuff we transplant, we can put. Wait, so you don't, you don't spray herbicides on your vegetables at all? No, we have a tremendously high labor bill for weeding for vegetables. Well, so, so Mike, here, here we are in agriculture. I'm supposed to know 
a little bit something about what we're doing here. And uh, even I didn't know that. I assumed that you would spray your cucumbers with herbicides. No, primarily the only thing our cucumbers get sprayed with is a fungicide um, for a really devastating disease called downy mildew. But other than that, rarely do we get too bad insect pressure. Otherwise, we might have to spray for that. But no, all our all our vegetables are hand weed, and um, and then we have people walk through the fields with hose in their hands. Wow, I can see why you. I'm not, need... I'm not sure how that might might sound to some people out there, but. Uh, Hey, we're rolling here. This, this is how we roll down here on the sampling. If someone is growing organically, because this is a point that I think really is confusing for, for a lot of people. They are doing it different than you're doing it. But what would they do differently if they had a big weed problem than what you do? You know, the, the, the funny thing, and this is the one thing, and I see this on social media all the time, the, the back and forth between organic and non-organic. And I try to tell people our our cucumbers are essentially grown organically, the same principles, the same methods, everything's the same. We use fungicides, we use synthetic fungicides, fertilizers. Other than that, there's absolutely no difference. Um, so yeah, I always, because I know primarily in Ontario, when you talk about uh, crop farming, it's corn and soybeans. And there is a big difference between organic corn and soybeans and than GMO corn and soybeans, or even IP soybeans. But uh, for vegetables, there are far more similarities than there are differences. So it's a it's a really fine line used more by marketing agencies than than by farmers. Marketing. I mean, where I am, there's organic farmers. Uh, we have organic farmers that are on some of our boards. And you know, it's funny we get along fine. It's just. A preferred method or another. Um, I think some of it now is being done more for the the economic advantages of organic, um, especially as you see land prices rise. Younger people, how do you make a living off 50 acres? You need you need a higher per acre um, yield. So so yeah, I don't. For me, organic, non-organic, especially with the vegetables, not a big difference. Right. Okay. So then, are you the older brother or younger brother? I am the oldest. Okay. So when I grew up, I did 4-H and showed a calf and, and did all of that stuff. Did you ever, like, su- submit cucumbers to the fall fair or anything like that? We had a, a really small fall fair in Langton, um, one-day fair, and primarily it was just for the two, two elementary schools, and we would always submit stuff. Um, also, the Norfolk County Fair, we would submit submit stuff in there. Um, unfortunately, where I lived, to where our nearest 4-H was a little too far for my parents to drive, so I never got the opportunity to be in 4-H. And uh, but we were busy busy playing sports as kids, hockey in the winter, baseball, soccer in the summer. Um, parents were busy on the farm, so so there's just not always enough time to do everything you wanted to do. Well, I guess the real thing that we need to know is who grows a better cucumber, you or Andy? Well, Andy generally takes after the cucumbers, um, but I don't. I don't want to say he could grow a better one. Andy likes his equipment, so he he likes the the cash crop side more because you get the big fancy equipment. Um, all our vegetables are hand picked, so there's so we don't have huge uh, equipment costs when it comes to vegetables. That gets made up for the labor costs. 
So I, I would say myself. Well, I would. I was kind of hoping you would. If, if we had Andy on, I'm pretty yeah. sure he would say he did too. Well, he, he liked to talk, but. All right. Well, we don't want to cause. We don't really want to cause any family. No, we've issues. actually we've actually been pretty good lately since uh, it's a downtime and we don't see each other every day. So. All right. Well, you can you so can you can hash it out on Twitter. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure I'll probably get some smart-ass remarks after this, anyways. Well, just wait. We're not even done yet. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I do have I do have to talk to you about your your mixtapes that that I've seen you put on Twitter. Um, yeah. Hey. Your choice in '80s music. I I honestly I I've never met anyone who had um, so closely aligned musical inclinations as, as I do. Not everybody appreciates a good Tiffany song. Well hey, if you can't if you can't rock on to Tiffany, then, then who can you rock on to, right? I'm with you. Like I say, there's not many people have as sophisticated an ear as, as we do. I know and, Cri- and Christine I, doesn't I'm seem to get it. <laughs> uh, so I'm Mike secure enough in myself to say I will rock on to Tiffany any Saturday night there is. That's right. Um and, and sometimes you really are alone now. Yeah, well, that, that'll probably do it for sure. <laughs> All right. So looking forward to 2017, we talked about a, a number of challenges. What, what are the things that you are focused on and what do you hope to accomplish in 2017? Well, I mean, we, we, we learned from last year. Last year was a, was a pretty long, challenging year. Uh, for me personally, especially, it was one of the longest years I can remember. Um, so we made some adjustments already this winter for next year um, going forward. Um, you know, this, this vegetable marketing board thing I think is going to gonna weigh on us a little bit. Um, the incoming uh, new administration south of the border, what they're going to do, how that's going to affect us is going to be interesting to see. And um, I don't like to speculate, but. Uh, it, it could be good. I have a feeling it might be make things a little tougher for us here, especially with the way our current administration, both provincially and federally, is headed and kind of the direction they want to take. Um, but you know, every year we're farmers, so we're, we're eternal optimists, right? Um, we look for the bright side. We know next year is going to be better than last year. Um, looking forward to spring. I mean, I've been off for a month now, so we're getting a little restless already. So looking forward to spring and starting things over again. Excellent. And, and you said it well, farmers are the eternal optimist and so far at least have figured out a way to keep meeting the new challenges and new demands. And I have no doubt that we'll continue to do that as we go ahead. Thanks for being on our show today, Mike. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. And this is the Ontario AgCast. If you enjoy the show, please go back to Twitter and give us a retweet. Uh, give us a rating on iTunes. It really does help us grow our audience. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.